I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to the FT Money Show, brought to you by Investors Chronicle and FT Money. And welcome to the FT Money Show. In today's programme, interest rate cuts ahead. So what can savers do to get a better return on their cash? Buy-to-let property? Is it still a good bet as property prices slow and start to fall? Drawing income from a pension? Is it a good idea to leave your pension fund invested as markets get volatile? And we have some good news and bad news on life assurance companies. I'm Matthew Vincent, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with the help of my colleague from FT Money, Steve Lodge. Hi. And from Investors Chronicle, John McLeod. Hi. So let's start with the money news. Uh, earlier this week, the US Federal Reserve cut interest rates by another 50 basis points uh, in a bid to stave off recession. Uh, following its emergency rate cut of a couple of weeks ago of 75 basis points. So that's a drop of 1.25% in just a matter of days. It's the most abrupt easing of monetary policy, I think, since the early 1980s. Everyone now is therefore expecting the Bank of England to follow suit with at least a quarter percent, perhaps even a half percent cut next week. Um, That could be good news for people looking to remortgage, but less good news for savers, or or is it? Uh, Steve, are there still decent rates out there? Will there be after a rate cut next week? Matthew, there are and there will be, but of course it is generally bad news for savers. Rates could come down by as much as half a percent next week, then we'd be down to 5%. But what's happening is banks and building societies are really hitting their back book in existing savers. But anyone who keeps an eye on the latest deals and is prepared to shift can get some excellent rates out there, rates that really don't seem to have moved despite this falling base rate environment. Only this week, an instant tax is still 655, and there are still fixed rate bonds, a very volatile market. Providers come in for a few days, then withdraw their offer. And believe it or not, we've got a, a best buy, in inverted commas, from Northern Rock, 6.9%. Northern Rock, that bank that's uh, had certain difficulties of late. Indeed, indeed. It's a best buy at 6.9%. That's the highest fixed rate. But it also unusually allows instant access, which people who uh, participated in the Northern Rock run, as they say, will be pleased to hear that uh, conceptually, theoretically, well, it was less, less than instant back. access for some of them. Less than <laughs> instant access, indeed. Now, um, OK, the obvious question is, why on earth would I want to go within a million miles of Northern Rock? 
Well, 6.9% instant access might make me think about it at least. Exactly. Fixed rate, falling rates, half a percent premium over instant access, about 0.15 better than the next fixed rate bond. And this is a one-year bond, but this one-year bond allows you to, in theory, get your money back immediately. It's a, very, it's a very good deal. And the, uh, well, the next best, I think you mentioned, was 6.55% yeah. on, on instant access. So uh, should, should people have any qualms about going to Northern Rock? Well, I think fewer qualms than they might suppose. The government's still got its explicit guarantee for all savings, and that includes existing savers, existing savers who put new money in, and new savers who put new money into the bank. Now, it, I don't think there's any expectation that, that guarantee will last forever, but Northern Rock tells me this week that the government will give due notice. So you would be warned that... Um, and uh, you have instant access, so if you, and if you wanted to get your money out, you wouldn't be stuck. And you have instant access. And don't forget as well, I mean, it goes without saying that the government puts so much political capital and taxpayers' capital into this bank that really is it now going to sort of pull the rug away from savers going forward? Famous last words, but I don't think so. And don't forget either as well. In the meantime, since the Northern Rock crisis, since then, since the credit squeeze, it's increased the industry deposit protection scheme. So for the first £35,000 of savings, you're wholly protected, 100% of all that money. So, I mean, I guess the real answer is put in under 35 grand and you're safest. But, but there is a catch as well. I mean, worst case scenario, imagine there was a renewed crisis at Northern Rock or a renewed credit crisis. The government might have to temporarily freeze accounts, in which case you might not be able to get your money back within a few. It might take a few days or even a few weeks. I think you'd almost certainly be protected, in which case if you've just sold your house and you're going to buy another house, Think twice about putting your entire savings in there because you might not be able to get it back the day the solicitor calls for the deposit and so on. But that's just generally good advice anyway. Don't, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, that applies to, to all bank deposits. Abs- absolutely. And, and don't forget, where Northern Rock went, other banks, who knows, could go in the future. That's true. So spread your money around, and if you can get over the tarnished brand, the stigma of having a Northern Rock account, you'll get a very good deal by the sounds of it. And for full details of that Northern Rock account, read Steve's Deal of the Week, which is in uh, FT Money, uh, with the weekend FT on the 2nd or 3rd of February, and is online at ft.com forward slash money. You can also send in your questions uh, on saving or borrowing or any other topic uh, by emailing us at ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. Still to come in the programme, income drawdown from your pension. Is there a risk that your remaining pension fund could go down as well? And we have some good news and bad news on life assurance. But first, buy-to-let property. On the face of it, buy-to-let is perhaps not as attractive an investment as it once was, with property prices weakening in many areas. But if people are put off buying, could this in some way provide a stimulus for the rented sector. Well, to get a view on the outlook for prices and rents, Charlene Goff of FT Money spoke to Mark Anderson of Hamptons International. So, Mark, we've seen a bit more um, gloomy news come out on the housing market this week. Mortgage approvals fell again in in December to actually their lowest level since the 1990s. So what's your view on what's going on on the housing market right now? Well, I think that is further indication of, of what we're seeing, which is that you know, there is inevitably a reduction in the number of people um, who are happy and prepared to go out and and buy in this market. And I think it's, you know, increasing caution amongst potential buyers, as they just don't know, you know, there is a degree to which they're not sure how far this is going to go on. 
So it, it, it is a concern, obviously, and I think transaction levels are reducing and, and, and prices actually are, are holding reasonably firm at the moment. And is that across the country? I mean, have you seen any sort of prices start to come down over the last few months? Well, we're predominantly um, occupying the kind of, you know, the s- southern counties of the UK, London right. and the southern counties. And we have seen a softening of prices as, as people, you know, aren't prepared to, uh, to get into bidding wars, etc. But we haven't seen a, a marked reduction in, in values. I mean, mm. every local market has its stock that is in short supply, and those mm. houses are holding up very well. Um, but, but clearly, if it's a property that's perhaps on the fringe, you know, either through, through an issue it has locally or just in terms of its location, then that's more likely to find that, that actually it's harder to achieve the kind of price that uh, the vendors might expect to yeah. and might have expected to last year. And we've actually seen um, a few people making, making comments, and especially if interest rates are going to come down again in the near future, that actually this could be quite a good opportunity to buy. Um, would you agree with that? Yes, I think this is definitely um, good news for buyers. They've been squeezed and squeezed for, for many years now. Mm. And first-time buyers particularly, I think this is, you know, uh, I've always felt very sorry for them, frankly, over the last period. And I think this is a, uh, a good time for them. Yeah. Um, and what about buy-to-let investors? Um, well, again, I think, um, you know, clearly the latest entrance to that marketplace might be feeling a bit squeezed because they might not have had as much equity um, as some of the, uh, the longer-term investors have had. Averagely, it's about 70% in that market, you know, loan-to-value. So it's, it's pretty healthy in that sense. But I think the opportunities, you know, are, are that there'll be some good deals out there for buy-to-let investors. Um, on the price are, side, and actually the fundamentals for buy-to-let investors are looking pretty good at the moment. Um, could you tell are. us a bit about that? Well, you know, you've got rents rising at the moment as there's much more demand for rental property. Mm. And we're still actually in the UK. You know, the UK has got one of the lowest proportions of housing stock in the private rented sector of, of right. any of, of the industrial economies. So we're, you know, demand remains high. Rents are rising. Um, the demand is coming from an increasing number of students. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously a significant inflow of migrant workers. And uh, so, and I think that, you know, all the kind of legal aspects of, of, of renting, the security for landlords has, has been improving. Mm-hmm. And, of course, landlords can, can look down the telescope of, of uh, a very much more benign capital gains tax environment for second homeowners. But I guess the flip side of, of all this is that, you know, if you are going to go into the market now, you will probably need a significant amount of capital because of the tightening we've seen in the mortgage market. I think that's another reason why more people are renting is because actually they're going to have to wait longer to to collect the kind of deposit they need to to buy. Um, And I don't think that's necessarily going to, we're not going to, I don't think, see a return to the kind of lending, um, you know, uh, and kind of the flexibility there was in deposits uh, and the amount of deposit. I don't think we're going to see a return to you know, the, the kind of heady days of, of very recently, for some time actually, even mm. after this credit squeeze has, has sort of worked its way through. Mm. But if you can afford to go into the market now, it might be a, a risk worth taking. I think so. I mean, you know, it, it's a big step for somebody doing it for the first time. Yeah. But I mean, the good news for them is it's, it's cheaper than it was last year. That's right. Um, okay. At least in terms of the values. Great. Well, thanks very much for your time. That was Mark Anderson of Hamptons International. And uh, Charlene joins us now. Um, Mark's making the point that uh, you have to you know, meet tighter criteria now to, to get a mortgage for buy to let. But yeah. if you do, 
uh, rental yields could be getting quite a lot better this year. Yeah, that's right. And it could be quite an interesting time for landlords this year because on one side you've got interest rates set to fall, so the borrowing costs should come down a bit. In addition to that, you've got rents rising, so they get that extra bit of profit uh, at a lower rate. And rents rising presumably because more people are looking to go into the rented sector, possibly from the the sort of uh, owner-occupier sector, yep. into rented as a temporary measure or a medium-term measure? Yeah, I mean, estate agents are seeing real high demand for their lettings at the moment because you've got people who've sold up who are renting, people who first-time buyers who are putting off purchasing a property, continuing to rent, and also people moving to London for work who are choosing to rent rather than buy. So there's a number of different groups of people who are really you know, choosing to rent rather than actually take the plunge and, and buy a property. And, and you mentioned the, the sort of people moving for work, because the corporate sector has seen a, a shift towards a preference for rental over over purchase. Yeah, uh, definitely. There's more foreign workers who are coming to London, a little bit nervous about the market, who are thinking, you know, maybe at least for six months or a year, they'll just rent um, and see how things go. So what sort of rental yields could we be seeing later in 2008? Well, I think um, some of the most bullish commentators, um, Paragon, for example, are saying that yields finished uh, 2007 at a high of about 6.2%. I mean, that does... That does sound a bit high. It does sound a bit high. I think a typical yield, you know, has been has got, uh, fallen to about 4, 4.5. Maybe they might be coming back up to 5 or so. So still quite tight when you think of current borrowing costs, but they could continue to grow this year. Maybe they could push up to the 6% mark. Steve, I, uh, I think you're a little bit sceptical about uh, Paragon's particular view of, uh, of, of rental yields, but, but do you think that, that, that there is opportunity still here? Well, I think it's just worth making the point, of course, Paragon is the, the, the sort of embattled, in journalistic terms, <laughs> yeah. lender, is it not, that's uh, just going through an emergency fundraising. But, I mean, that's not to say, I'm not saying its figures aren't accurate. But I think long term, I think there is massive demand still out there for buy-to-let. I think the real story in the, of the housing boom has been that every time there's been this sort of slight fall-off in confidence or slight fall-off in prices, buy-to-let investors have dived in there over the last decade and mopped it up and, and, and fueled the resurgence, if you like. And I don't think we're there at saturation point yet. I think many investors, many listeners will like the idea of buy-to-let. They will think that property can only go up in the long term. I think what they underestimate, all too many buy-to-let investors do underestimate, is the horrors of being a landlord. I think it's an inherently fractious arrangement, um, relationship between well, you've landlords. You've experienced this yourself, I believe. I have, I have, and I wasn't even paid for it as well. So, um, you know, do you really want to have that conversation with the tenant about fixing all the things that go wrong in the flat and so on? Everyone knows the arguments about deposits and so on. Tenant always thinks they've been robbed blind. Landlord always feels they should get back a pristine flat. Therein lies a conflict. But outside uh, the sort of uh, petty disputes between uh, landlord and tenant, this idea that buy-to-let investors come to the rescue of the housing market, I suppose, is borne out partly in some of the anecdotal evidence of auction yeah. sales, property auctions, where uh, repossessions are being snapped up. Yeah. yeah, and it's quite interesting because often the people, the owner-occupiers who are running into problems, first-time buyers, um, for instance, are, are those that have the exact properties that buy-to-let investors are often keen to buy, the kind of one- or two-bedroom flats, for example. And these are 
seeing increased repossessions um, definitely over the over the last six months or so there has been a rise and auctions are, say, are seeing I think it's um, 40% more repossessed property come through you know in the, in the last month or so and saying you know the, their auction rooms are filled with uh, buy-to-let investors looking for a deal. So not too late to snap up a, a bargain in fact it would be the perfect no. time. But the risk is, of course, that if it is a bubble, then this bubble has been kept going for a bit longer until it does burst, because rents might have to come down if people are unemployed. I suppose is a point yeah. to make is, is what we saw in the very early 90s, the last sort of big housing price bubble, when I suppose some buy-to-let investors got burnt. In fact, I, I, I bought a flat from a, a buy-to-let investor who got into trouble back then, but I suppose it wasn't as big a sector, was it? No, was it, it wasn't, wasn't defined as such, was it? No. I mean, there were landlords, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, what's come down in recent, in, in the boom, correct me if I'm wrong, Charlene, is, is borrowing costs, this, this concertinering, this narrowing of the spread that mm. investors have paid over normal mortgages. In the old days, you had to get a commercial loan, effectively. That's true. And so. now you can get a cheaper buy-to-let deal than many owner-occupiers. Yes, exactly, yes. And also, even is a bubble likely to burst? You know, people still need somewhere to live. Um, and you have got huge numbers of students and migrant workers coming in so, you know, they should really buoy up uh, rental demand. But I guess they will be hoping that capital values won't come down anymore. That's the trade-off, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah. Does the rental value make any possible loss of capital value worth it? Yeah. And at the moment, it seems that in many cases it does. So, well, for more on uh, Bicelet, you can read Charlene's uh, story in FT Money on the 2nd and 3rd of February. <laughs> Coming up, we have good news and bad news on life assurance. Before that, though, pensions. Last week on the FT Money Show, we talked about getting an enhanced income from a pension annuity. But what if you don't want to commit to buying an annuity right now? John, you've been looking at this very question uh, this week. I spoke to Nigel Callahan at Hargreaves Lansdowne about the fact that as more people take enhanced annuities, that means there'll be less money in the pot for those who've got longer life expectancies, so those people might want to look at income drawdown instead. So I started off by asking Nigel about the growth in enhanced annuities. Last year, uh, for the first time ever, £1 billion was invested in enhanced annuities. It's a way of, because of a client's medical conditions, of getting an increased income of up to 30% on average more than uh, someone ordinarily would, so it's becoming increasingly popular. By doing that, you reduce the mortality cross-subsidy, and that means that people who've got longer life expectancies won't necessarily get such good annuity rates. Yeah, it's estimated that uh, 4 out of 10 people that do retire are entitled to one of these enhanced annuities, but that does leave the other 6 out of 10, the 60%, likely receiving a far worse and poorer annuity rate. And one way to address this is the growth of the income drawdown market, where rather than buying an annuity, you've got an investment going on and drawing an income from that. Yeah, absolutely. Income drawdown has become increasingly popular over the last uh, 10 years or so, uh, partly as, as a result of the perceived poor value of annuities, and that's likely to continue. One advantage of using income drawdown is that you can maximise your, your, your pension and therefore burn down the pot so that on death there's no pot left and it won't be taxed up to 55% or up to 82% in alternative secured pension after 75 Yeah, uh, absolutely. There's a lot of people that use their income drawdown contract 
more or less uh, like a bank account. They'll take the maximum they're allowed to from their income drawdown each year in the certain knowledge that that's going to deplete the fund over uh, a number of years so that when they do come to uh, their very, very old age uh, and indeed their death, there's likely to be very little left that the tax bank can take in the form of an inheritance tax. But... On the other hand, the risk is that if stock markets are volatile and, and come down, you could be left with insufficient pension income when you, when you need it. So what sort of um, asset allocation do you think people should be using in, the, in, in drawdown? Um, well, the first point to make is that if someone is an income drawdown and they are invested in, in equities currently, they should bear in mind that they only actually suffer the losses when they uh, sell what they own. If they can uh, afford to carry and ride out the market turbulence at the moment, there's certainly an opportunity that the markets may come back and they they won't crystallise the losses they currently face. Any investment portfolio should have a broad spread of equities, cash, fixed interest and property investments And you can often buy that from by accessing either manager of managed funds or fund of funds, where you get an investment manager to actually give you a professional asset allocation on your behalf and will uh, monitor those funds each day. Do you you think it's a case for a balance between annuities and drawdowns so that you've got a bit bit of certainty and a bit of spice? Yeah. that's, again, increasingly becoming popular where someone with half of their fund will get the certainty from uh, buying an annuity. They know they will receive X amount of income each and every month for the rest of their lives. And with the balance, purchase an income drawdown contract which will allow them to hopefully enjoy the investment returns uh, or better investment returns which will let them take a, a greater income. And because they're balancing that half with uh, annuities, it will typically allow them to take greater investment risks. That was Nigel Callaghan of Hargreaves Lansdowne and John, Nigel's making the point about volatility and having a spread of different assets but I suppose it's not just volatility in the short term people need to worry about, it's how markets move over a period of time because if you let's say you retire at 65 and go into income drawdown for 10 years to age 75 If you'd done that uh, and invested in the US stock market, say, you'd find that the value of your pension fund was exactly the same at the end of 10 years as it was at the very beginning. So you haven't actually achieved any growth, but you've been drawing an income which reduces the value of your fund. So timing an asset class has got to be the most important thing here. That's the risk of being an income drawdown. I mean, obviously, one advantage of it is that you can actually burn down your pot and avoid tax. But then if your other investments have fallen as well, you've got nothing else to, to fall back on. If you're taking a percentage of your pot each year and you're investing in equities, you really have to be quite careful. So, as you said earlier with Northern Rock, don't put it all in one basket. And when you're in retirement, capital preservation is maybe more important than, than growth. And I suppose it's particularly important because if you were to allow your capital to reduce in value, or even if you were to go for that um, sort of burning down the pot strategy to reduce the value of your estate, the trouble with that is each year your income in retirement will get that little bit smaller which could be difficult if, you, you know, if, if your costs go up in later life. In a way, saving, saving on a pension is not a very good way to focus on growth because of the tax aspect. If, if you want to, leave, to pass money on, you may be better taking more risk outside your pension. I mean, financial advisors usually say, as a rule of thumb, you should have about the same proportion of your assets in safe investment, in very common safe investments, like bonds, property and cash, as your age. So say, say you're 65, you should have 65% of your portfolio in those assets, only 35% in equities. 
so adjust your asset allocation to to match your circumstances. Steve, I think you, you would also advocate mixing and matching the sources of income that you have in retirement. Yes, I mean, I think uh, the, the, thinking about that, the prospect of 65 century assets in bonds might sound a bit boring to some listeners. Don't forget, most listeners will have a decent state pension, maybe a final salary pension coming for a former employer. So income drawdown could be something they do with their AVC pot or their sip or whatever it is. So, you, so I think you can afford to take some, if you like that dreadful industry term, the barbell approach almost, you know, and see your state pension at one end of the guaranteed money coming in, index links and all the rest of it, similarly with your final salary pot, and maybe do something racier around the edges with income drawdown. But I, I wouldn't underestimate the risks. I mean, I think you can take up to 8%, can you not, from a, a drawdown plan at the moment on, on the, the sort of maximum yield basis. So, so I mean, clearly that could denude the underlying capital very quickly. And the, you know, the chances of making uh, enough in terms of capital growth to make up for that income you've taken at the moment, uh, the chances aren't that great. Indeed, we don't need to talk about what's happening in markets for people to realise that. So uh, for more on income drawdown and uh, the sort of strategies uh, you might want to employ in difficult markets, have a look at uh, the pension special in FT Money on the 2nd and 3rd of February. And finally today, it's good news, bad news on life assurance. Steve, there's been big news, certainly, in the life assurance sector this week uh, with Friends Providence and Standard Life making announcements. Where's the good news in this? Well, the good news or the reason it's something people need to focus on is that these are very widely held shares. Both Standard Life and Friends Providence are two of the most widely held shares amongst private investors, largely as a result of their demutualizations in recent years. Of course, people are also customers of these uh, companies as well. These are the traditional financial services giants. So the good news, if it's good news, is that Friends Provident this week finally announced the details of its strategic review, which basically is to sell off its holding, majority holding in foreign and colonial asset management and various other bits and pieces of the business. And this follows... This follows its failed merge with Resolution last year, which in turn involves Standard Live. Standard Live tried to pip in there and uh, acquire um, Resolution as well. So it's, I mean, it's a terribly murky, incestuous world. And I mean, the other bit of news this week, of course, was a, a senior executive at Standard Life jumped ship to Friends Providence. Um, to, head so, up, to head up Friends Provident, yeah. And so it's going to be overseeing this, this sale of assets at Friends yeah. Provident. Is there good news if you are one of these shareholders, you know, if you did, if you did get demutualisation shares in Friends Providence, is this going to boost the value? Well, the good news is kind of a, a sort of relative thing. They, they've been dogs. Friends Providence has been a dog since um, demutualisation in uh, some five years ago. And the hope is... Eventually, like all dogs, someone else, someone external will come and try and break up the company. Um, there's talk of a bid from J.C. Flowers, the big U.S. investor. But I think the, the, the number touted has been about 175p, which is still well below the flotation price of about 220. The, the market's reaction to the strategic review as well was not positive. The shares immediately fell. Friends Providence shares immediately fell 10%. So they weren't impressed. Either they weren't impressed with the, the lack of ambition in just selling off a few bits and pieces, or they felt that, frankly, it was a bit of a fire sale, or will be a bit of a fire sale, of a, an asset management arm in falling markets with investor outflows. So the news isn't great for 
shareholders in Friends Providence. Uh, Standard Life put out its new business figures earlier this week, but no one really paid attention because they were too busy looking at uh, that executive that you mentioned mm. uh, who's going over to become the new chief executive of, of Friends Providence. They were more interested in the poaching than the, than, yeah. uh, the business figures. Um, how Standard Life's shares been performing? Again, very badly. The Standard Life shares peaked last summer and have fallen heavily, near 40%, near, nearly a half um, since the credit squeeze last summer. Arguably, they'd become overextended. People had done very well since demutualisation, since flotation in 2006 through to two, mid-2007. Um, then famously said, this is a fabulous company, it's going places and all the rest of it. And then came the failed bid for resolution. The city, big investors have really lost confidence in Standard Life in recent months. That was seen as a botched attempt to uh, get in there and into a merger. But, I mean, one rumour going through the mill at the moment is, of course, that Standard Life will now bid for Friends Providence. So good news for Friends Providence. Will it be good news for Standard Life? Obviously, it depends on the terms of the deal and whether it's, it's seen as a good transaction. But, I mean, the other thing to say as well is, I mean, new business figures, I mean, it's a terribly opaque world, life insurance. Um, there's all sorts of talk about actually new businesses, really gross new business, and actually they're all cannibalizing each other's products and so on. And it's never more murky, than, of course, than if you happen to be a poor old policyholder with, a, with profits endowment or with profits pension. This is what I wanted to move on to because uh, shareholders are not having a good time of it. Uh, policyholders... Well, they're also not having a great time of it, are they? No, I don't think uh, that policy, with profits policy performance, will not offer any respite in current markets. I think that's the simple general comment to make. Different companies will offer different returns, but I don't think any of the returns are great. I mean, the whole with profits endowment, the whole with profits pension, it, it really is a personal finance product of the past, although still a lot of people have big sums in there, of course. Remember, people typically took out an endowment mortgage in the 80s when, uh, for house purchase, um, with profits pensions were also very popular as well. But it's the overall returns on these policies have been coming down. And the explicit bonus announcements, the annual bonus that they typically announce around this time, probably won't impress, even given what happened to markets last year. So it's not much good news and a fair amount of bad news in the life assurance sector and you can actually read Steve's analysis of the sector in FT Money on the 2nd and 3rd of February and that's all we've got time for in this week's FT Money show. Remember that you can email your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com and we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then it's goodbye from me, it's goodbye from Steve goodbye, and from John Bye. and from our podcast producers Blue Barracuda. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 